Welcome to How to Live with the Rich, a limited series podcast about how the middle class can actually, practically, and biblically help the poor. I am your host, Beck Isaacson, and welcome to the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone back to the podcast and to part two of our four-part series on the Bible. Last week we talked about what the Bible has to say in reference to the love of money, and this week we are going to take a look at what the Bible has to say about caring for the poor, as well as answering the very important question of why am I rich? But first, let's start light and fun and talk about Tiny Happy Things, which is, of course, our little segment up front where I talk about something that makes me happy this week. Do you guys even like this segment? Let me know. I mean, regardless, I like it, and so for now, we are going to keep doing it. And this week, my tiny happy thing is Wingspan. And if you don't know, which I imagine most of you don't, Wingspan is a board game, and in my humble opinion, it is the greatest board game of all time. It is so fun and so beautiful, and it is all about birds, and I I highly recommend it. That's all I can say. I am a really big board game person, and it absolutely has my stamp of approval. If I was like Oprah or Reese Witherspoon and had like a book recommendation, but for board games, I would put my little sticker of approval right on the front of it. And if you are a fan of birds or games or just having fun with other humans or experiencing all of those things at the exact same time, you will not be disappointed in Wingspan. I also have the Australasia expansion, and that also gets a gold star of approval from me as well. But all right, let's jump in because we have a lot to talk about today, starting with what the Bible has to say about caring for the poor, which is, spoiler alert, quite a lot. And it is a theme that is carried way back from the beginning of the Bible as foundationally. We see this within the very specific framework that God used to set up the society of ancient Israel. Now, I know that the book of Deuteronomy is not everyone's cup of tea, but it is super rich on this particular topic, as many of the laws that were laid out specifically in Deuteronomy were established to protect the poor, and in fact, taking that one step further, they were established to ensure that there actually weren't any poor in the first place, and that instead, everybody within the ancient Israelite society was protected and provided for. For example, let's get started. Let's read some scripture. Hopefully you're excited about that. I'm always excited about that. Let's begin in Deuteronomy 15. It says, if anyone is poor among you, your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land of the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then, because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. 
And what I think is so cool and beautiful and interesting about this is that we see this very idea become a reality much later in church history as we see depicted in Acts. For example, Acts chapter 4, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. And so we have right off the bat this common theme from both the Old and New Testaments that caring for the poor through generous and sacrificial community living has always been a theme for the people of God, as has living open-handedly. We also see this incredible theme played out not only in the teachings of Jesus, but also in his lifestyle and his actual real-life interactions with people as well. There are so many examples that I could bring up, but let's start with the famous story of Zacchaeus in Luke 19. In his interaction with Jesus, Zacchaeus declared that he would give away half of his possessions to the poor and pay back anyone four times what he had cheated them. And on hearing this, Jesus did not say, well, that's a really great idea, Zacchaeus, or that's, you know, just a really nice thing to do. Instead, and I'm quoting here, Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. I mean, I think I am reading this correctly that in this moment, Jesus is equating the generosity of Zacchaeus and his treatment of the poor with his very salvation. I'm going to be careful with this because I'm, of course, not saying that giving to the poor equals salvation, but I mean, read it because somehow in there, these two things are tied together. And we can contrast this story then with Jesus's very famous interaction with the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10. In this story, a man throws himself before Jesus and asks what he must do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus tells him the commandments to which he replies, all these I have kept since I was a boy. And in his love for this man, which I think is just a beautiful and important little detail, I love that it is in there, but in his love for this man, Jesus tells him that there is still one thing he lacks. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. We are told that this man leaves sad and with a fallen face, which again is another little detail I appreciate, but why is he so sad? It tells us because of his great wealth. Jesus goes on and uses this as a teaching moment for his disciples, telling them about how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. He says that is it is in fact easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And the scripture continues, I'm quoting, the disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked to them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left homes or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age 
homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. And that comes out of Mark 10, 26 to 31. So let me just summarize all of this and come to some kind of a conclusion. Here we have Zacchaeus, who was this man of open sin and greed, and he was granted salvation because of his repentance and his generosity to the poor. Contrast this then to the rich young ruler who had kept God's commandments since birth, but he walked away saddened and entrapped by the snares of his wealth. Okay, first off, isn't Jesus just so incredibly admirable in his ability to both love people, but then also tell them the absolute truth at the same time? And secondly, to me, it just becomes so fundamentally clear as I read the scriptures that the true cost of following Jesus is a life that is totally given up, surrendered, and laid down. And this includes giving away our wealth and possessions, but also living super open-handedly. It is not an easy path to take. It is not a cheap path to take. And yet, here is the amazing part, I mean, one of the amazing parts, the reward of doing so is a hundred thousand million billion trillion times the cost. I mean, we give up so much and yet the yield we receive back is absolutely infinite. It is truly a tremendous deal for us, and yet we do not deserve it in any capacity. And yet the actual and practical reality of living like this is something that we have to be extremely intentional about because it does not come naturally to us, and it is extremely countercultural. Well, I, I mean, maybe it comes naturally to you. It does not come naturally to me. It is something we absolutely have to fight for, be intentional about. And as Jesus himself said, we need to watch out and be on guard against all kinds of greed because life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Do we hear that when Jesus says it? Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. This is quite literally the exact opposite message to the anthem of our age, and this is a truth that comes directly straight from the mouth of our Messiah. And I mean, it is clear. The Bible calls people foolish who store up things for themselves but are not generous towards the Lord or toward other people. And in a world that is as globally connected as ours is, we just cannot claim genuine ignorance to the preventable suffering of the poor. I mean, especially not if you are listening to this podcast. Are you regretting your choice? Please don't leave me. Uh, Stick around. I promise you it will be worth it. But the Bible does make clear to me that we are left with a choice. We can either give our lives away as an act of Christ-led compassion for the sake of the starving, and thus Jesus himself, as we heard last week in Matthew 25, or we can hoard our possessions and cast ourselves in the class of the unprepared and the foolish. All right, let's take a break right there and come back to answer the question of why am I rich? All right, hopefully by now we understand that when the Bible talks about rich people, that very much includes 
us. We are rich. We are so, so rich. And the Bible has a lot to say about people who fall into that category. And we, as part of the richest people to ever walk the earth, have a tremendous responsibility within it. Of course, it is not wrong to see financial blessing as a gift from God and respond to that in absolute and resounding thankfulness. Because again, I will say it again and again and again, we should be a thankful people. However, the question that needs to be asked and then answered is is this, why am I rich? If God has blessed us and if financial wealth is a blessing, then why has he done so? And I think too many people in this world, myself very much included at different times, have fallen into this trap of mistaking their net worth and their self-worth. It is such an easy thing to do, and I think it is in part because that is actually what we are taught to do in our society and sadly sometimes even within the church itself. Many Christians have fallen into the trap of believing that financial blessing is an affirmation of God regarding their lifestyle and his desire to quote-unquote prosper them. And therefore, nicer houses, cars, shoes, vacations are the evidence of his abundant goodness and their prosperity mindset. This is so attractive, it's so catchy, and in my opinion, it's also just absolutely false. And as tempting as it might be, the answer to the question of why am I rich most likely has less to do with houses, cars, shoes, and vacations than it does with justice and mercy and faithfulness. I mean, all we need to do is ask the Pharisees. (laughs) I could just drop the mic and walk away at this point, but I won't because there will just be silence on this podcast and this mic was actually pretty expensive. But the great John Wesley put it frankly Uh, with this. He says, do you not know that God entrusted you with that money to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to help the stranger, the widow, the fatherless, and indeed as far as it will go to relieve the wants of all mankind? How can you, how dare you defraud the Lord by applying it all to any other purpose? Oh snap, I mean I might not word it quite that intensely, but I am absolutely picking up what he is putting down, if you know what I mean. And not just from my own opinion on this, but this is also what I see time and time again within the scriptures as well, because I personally believe that we so gravely misrepresent the heart of God when we act like he cares more about the brand of our sneakers than the 6.3 million children that die every single year from preventable causes, or the 815 million people who do not have enough to eat today, or the 10,000 people that will die today due to their lack of affordable health care, the 265 million children that do not have access to schooling, or the 3.19 billion unreached people in this world. Those were, by the way, um, your five facts for the day. 
but I cannot believe that God is in any way glorified when we keep for ourselves what could have been used to ease or end the suffering of the world's sick, the world's poor and hungry and hurting. And now, please don't mishear me when I say this. There is absolutely no question that God does prosper us. He does bless us financially. But here is the important distinction. Our prosperity is not our God. And I think that the financial blessing of God is amazing, absolutely, but it is also both a test and an incredible responsibility as well. Because no matter which way we look at it, we actually build kingdoms with our finances. We truly do. And that kingdom is either our own kingdom or it is the Lord's kingdom. And reality is, is that often we are far more comfortable with the world's ethics and opinions about money and possessions than we are with that of Christ. And we opt to adjust our theology as opposed to our lifestyles. Because at the end of the day, how we handle our finances, what we do with our possessions, it actively, practically, every day demonstrates who runs our lives, who owns our lives. And once again, it becomes a question of lordship because the Bible makes it so, so clear that this earth is not our home. And so when we store up riches within it, we are fools. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, I encourage you to do so because it will make this very difficult point very, very clear. This hurting, suffering world absolutely needs the followers of Jesus to be fully who they are called to be and who they once were, generous givers with their thoughts, their minds, and their wallets who are deeply invested into the kingdom of their king. Because ignoring the poor and the suffering simply is not an option for the people of God. And it is a good calling that has good results, as we can see all throughout the Proverbs. Let me just name a few. Proverbs 28, 27, those who give to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to them receive many curses. Proverbs 29, 7, the righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. Proverbs 31, 8 to 9, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of those who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Or just a few more from a few other books of the Bible. Jeremiah twenty two sixteen. he defended the cause of the poor and needy, and so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord? Or Psalm 112, 9, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever, their horn will be lifted high in honor. James 1, 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And finally, Luke 14, 33, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. And so again, the scriptures to me are very, very clear on the issues of caring for the poor and what we are to do with our riches. And so today I am closing with a little segment called The Resource Room, in which I recommend some fantastic resources on the topics that I am talking about. And today is a book. It is one of the best books that I have ever read, and it is called Money, Possessions, and Eternity by Randy Alcorn. It is fantastic. I could not recommend it more highly. 
And if you don't love to read or you don't like to listen to audiobooks, there is also a condensed version, a shorter version of this book called The Treasure Principle, which I can also recommend. Also putting my gold sticker stamp of approval on that as well. And on that note, it is time to wrap up today's episode. I hope that you have found it informative and helpful. If so, I would love to know. As always, you can reach me anytime on Instagram at howtolivewiththerich or you can email me at howtolivewiththerich at gmail.com. I would also love it if you would share, rate, review all of the things. It really helps me out, helps other people to find the podcast. And on that note, I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful day and I will see you next Tuesday for the Bible Part 3, all about the ever-controversial topic of works and rewards. So have an amazing week and I will see you then. Bye.